0: You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. It's a wonderful day, but it's not without its emotion. Um, I had a good godly mother for which I'm thankful. I had a great godly mother-in-law as well. And uh, one day, uh, the circle will not be broken. We'll be gathered together with them Uh, For all of you ladies that are here, we honor you today, especially those of you that are mothers. And uh, for some of you that uh, maybe were never able to take a child to full term, you need to understand that child waits for you in the presence of God. David said, I cannot bring the child back to me, but I can go and be with the child. I believe that every child whose life is, is terminated or is lost, is never lost to Jesus Christ. Um, He is the author and the sustainer and the giver of life. So, ladies, we honor you today. We're thankful for you. Father, thank you for what the old, old hymn writer said was precious memories, how they linger. Thank you, Lord, for a godly mother. Thank you for a godly home Thank you for the fact that there was the fear of God that was practiced in our home. Thank you, Lord, for all that was poured into me. I pray, Father, for our homes, for our families. I pray for the family of of God here at Valleydale. uh, That as we turn to your word now to look at um, what can only be designed by you to be preached today, love that we would hear, Father, not just with our physical ears, but that you would open our hearts and that we would hear your word deep, as uh, Paul said, in the inner man, for we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Love. Now, that's the first fruit we come to, which is kind of funny, uh, the day being Mother's Day, uh, that we're going to look at love. We're in Genesis, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But now I'm going to be all over the New Testament. So I'm going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians 3 and in 1 John 4 and in 1 John 3 and in Colossians chapter 3. So you're just going to have to keep up. Um, But I'm going to look at love this morning because we really, in our day and time, in this culture, we don't have a clue what love is all about. No No subject has been the subject for more songs than love. The Partridge family sang, I think I love you. Olivia Newton-John confessed, I honestly love you. The Doors just said, hello, I love you. And Justin Bieber piped in and said, I just need somebody to love. The, Be- the Beatles sang "All You Need Is Love," but then they turned around and said, "You can't buy me love." Arnold, pa- Robert Palmer, <laughs> not Arnold Palmer, Robert Palmer sang "Addicted to Love," and Elvis crooned "Love Me Tender." Usher blamed the DJ, DJ who got us falling in love. Stevie Wonder uh, sang "Just Called to Say I Love You." Keisha said, "Your love is my drug." I think she's on something stronger than that, but. Ray Charles sang, I Can't Stop Loving You. Air Supply admitted they were all out of love. And Kenny begged Ruby, don't take your love to town. (laughs) Tim told Faith, it's your love. Taylor Swift wrote, Taylor Swift, the poor child that can't hold on to a guy, wrote a love story. Dolly wrote it and Whitney Houston sang it, I Will Always Love You. And Jackie DeShannon, Uh, she sang that great song, What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Now we get to the good one, Motown. The spinners said, Could it be I'm falling in love? Jefferson Airplane asked, Don't you want to love somebody? Tina Turner answered and said, What's love got to do with it? The Bee Gees and Brothers Gibb just wanted to know, How deep is your love? Elton John sang, Can you feel the love tonight? Roberta Flack and Donnie Hathaway, they asked the question, Where is the love? Harold Melvin in the blue notes. Now, when a Baptist preacher quotes Harold Melvin in the blue notes, you need to take note. They sang, Where's Love? Teddy Pendergrass, where's the love? Greatest blues singer ever was. Teddy Pendergrass, where's the love? Man, I can hear it right now. And Hathaway summed it all up by asking the question, what is love? Now that's the question, what is love? And where in the world do you go to get the answer to that? Do you turn to the musicians of our day? Do you turn to the musicians of the past and uh, you get a definition of love from them? What is love? Where do you go? Do you go to Hollywood to get it? Do you go to the government to find out? Do you go to the television or the movies? Well, G- Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 says that the fruit of the Spirit, the very first one, is love. Love. Now, we're going to look at the Word of God because I think that's where you go. Uh, The Word of God will begin to explain to us what love really is all about. Now, if you stop and you think about this, we just have that one word that describes all these kinds of love that we experience in life. Uh, not so in the Greek New Testament. I'm going to show you that in just a few moments. But I want to just get you into the fruit of the Spirit by saying several things. When you come to the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, those nine traits that are there that Paul says you will bear when you walk in the Spirit. Last week I shared with you that is what you experience when you have personal spiritual revival. When you walk in the Spirit, you're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, you will begin to demonstrate this when you experience that personal spiritual revival. So I call it literally the fruit of revival in the believer's life. Now, love is the very first one that Paul mentions. And I think he mentions it first because every other one of the fruit of the Spirit is demonstrated only When you demonstrate the fruit of love, I think every one of the others are built on love and we'll talk more about that as we go along. But that's the first thing that I would say. Number two, the second thing that I would say is this, that when you grieve the Holy Spirit or when you quench the Holy Spirit, you will not bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Now, Paul talks about quenching the Holy Spirit in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. He says you can quench, or he says don't quench the Holy Spirit. Uh, and uh, when we quench the Holy Spirit, we shut the Holy Spirit down. And the Holy Spirit is the one who produces the fruit of the Spirit in the believer's life. And we'll, we're going to talk more about that as well. But number three, the third thing is this is that we talk about more about the gifts of the Spirit than we do the fruit of the Spirit, and I think that's probably out of balance. Um, we all have gifts. If you're saved here this morning, you have at least one gift, and most likely you have far more than one. Uh, but you have a gift that the Holy Spirit has given you, but let me tell you something. That gift will never operate properly if you're not displaying the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, the gift of the Spirit, I like to say, is the tool. But the fruit of the Spirit is the handle that works the tool. The tool is really essentially useless if it doesn't have a handle. And so I look at the gifts of the Spirit as a tool. That is, there are abilities and gifts and talents that God gives you, but they only operate properly if you are using and um, Bearing the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know why it is. I started preaching when I was 20. Well, it was before then. But I started pastoring when I was 22. 22, 23. So I've been pastoring now for over 40 years. And in every church, I would have some incredibly gifted people. I mean, just incredibly gifted people. They had just a special gift that God had given to them. In a number of ways, and they were, listen, the gift was just so huge in them. However, I have found this, that in people that are most gifted are usually the ones who never bear the fruit of the Spirit, Uh, it's usually that the gift now has become a source of pride, that the gift has become a source of manipulation, that the gift has become a source of uh, power and control. They never demonstrate. And I've, I've asked God, I have prayed before, and I said, Lord, why is it that the most gifted people I've seen in the church are people I can never use in the church because they have no patience, they have no love, they have no kindness, they have no goodness, they're, you know, they treat people, like they are dirt they just run over everybody they want their way they demand their way why is that now God's never really given me an answer other than uh, that they have the gift but they do not have the fruit that's critical that is critical for you to know and to think about well, what is love? Where, where, do, where do we go to get an understanding of love? Well, first of all, and I'm going to give you three quick points. First of all, God determines love. If you want to know what love is, you've got to go to God because we're told in 1 John uh, chapter 3, we're told God is love. God is love. So if you want to know what love is, go to the one who is love. Do you know you'll never find that in the Quran anywhere about Allah? You'll never find that anywhere in the Gita. You'll never find that anywhere in the sacred writings of any other religion. But in the word of God, we are told God is love. He's the creator of love. He is love. Uh, so we turn to him, and we get an understanding of what love is. Now, in English, we've just got this one word. I love my wife. I love Krispy Kreme donuts. I love hot dogs. I love Atlanta Braves baseball. You know, I've got one word. Now, I've just described a whole bunch of things right there. My, my wife, donuts, baseball, So we use one word, and we never really understand. We know the nuance difference there, but we never have really a clear understanding of the word of love. That's not so in Greek. There are four major words in Greek, and I'm going to give them to you, uh, that describe love. Number one is eros and it's exactly what you're thinking it is erotic love which is the love of the physical it is almost always bound up with the sexual it can mean romantic love it does describe that it is never ever used in the greek new testament you'll never find eros in the greek new testament now there's a second word and the second word in the greek is in the greek is storge Storgay is a family kind of love. It's the kind of love that a family shares inside of that family. Now you didn't get to pick your family. I didn't get to pick my mom and dad. I didn't get to pick my siblings. You didn't either. You are born into a family and born into that, you love that family even when you don't disagree, even when you don't agree with the family. We disagree with family members. We have different political opinions than family members. We have different theological opinions than family members and yet we still show up at birthday parties and Thanksgiving and Christmas. Why? Storge. There is a family love. There is a love of family that is in our hearts that even disagreements cannot overcome. Then you have a third type. It's phileo or philos. You're familiar with that because you've heard that used with the word or the noun Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. Uh, I've got a, you know, I've got a brotherly love for a friend. In fact, Um, my closest, dearest friend is retiring next Sunday and I'm gonna go preach his retirement. We went all the way through seminary together Uh, We pastored close to each other. Uh, He he was there when our kids were born. We were there when their kids were born. Uh, When we worked on our first doctorate together, I lived with them a month at the time because they were in Texas at the time. Uh, We've spent so much of life. We've traveled so much together. We've shared so much of life. We've cried over the telephone together. We've laughed uh, over issues together. And uh, it's a dear friend. You know what it is to have somebody close to you like that somebody that's dear to you like that, somebody that's near to you uh, like that. Where's Caleb? Is Caleb in here? Played the guitar. Did he? he was in the first service. Caleb's a good friend. He's in preschool. Bless his little heart. Now, Caleb is a good friend. Josh is a good friend. There's Josh, uh, and Bubba's a good friend. So, I look at Josh, or I look at Bubba and I say, hey, you're my friend. If I got a dollar, buddy, you got 50 cents. You're my friend. If I got an apple, you got half, right? If I got a car, you got a ride. If I win the lottery, you get a postcard from Hawaii. (laughs) That's a friend. We all know what a friend is, and we love that. We love friends. Friends make life a joy. Now, that's the third. The fourth is what you have heard if you've been in a Baptist church for three months or more, you've heard the term agape. It is the kind of love that you find throughout the New Testament. It's the word that Paul uses, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It's the word in the Greek, agape. It's the love that says, I care more about you than I care about myself. It's the kind of love that Jesus had for us when he went to Calvary. Listen to what Paul says. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sin- When we were in complete, total, absolute rebellion against God and Jesus Christ, Christ had already died for us. It's the kind of love where Jesus comes and says, you're lost and headed for hell, but I'm gonna make it possible that you don't have to experience that. I will go and pay the debt you owe. That's propitiation. You'll see that word in just a little bit in 1 John. I will pay the debt that you owe. If you will receive my payment for your sin, then you'll have eternal life. Now, that's the kind of love. Now, listen, C.S. Lewis talks about these four. We all experience that. We all want to experience, and we. Need, in fact, he says the first three are needs. We need that romantic, erotic, that sexual love inside the bounds of marriage. It's, it's good. It, it's right. You know, the writer of Hebrews says the marriage bed is undefiled. Knock yourself out. That's what he's saying. It's right inside of marriage. We all have that need. Secondly, he comes and he says, listen, we all want and need that family love. I need a family that will love me. I need a family that will care for me. That will always be there. And number three, phileo, we all need that familial love, that that love of a friend, that love of of a buddy, that love of a, of a guy that, or a gal that, you know, you just are good friends with. Now we need that. He comes to the fourth one and he says, it's not a need love, it's a gift love. It's the kind of love that gifts, that gives itself and does not look for something in return, but it gifts, it gives, it pours out. So he gives us these four kinds. You see these four kinds. Well, you don't see eros in the New Testament, but we know about it. The other three we find throughout the Word of God. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 and just listen to what Paul says because I think Paul gives a great definition of love here. And then we're going to look over at 1 John because John's going to give a definition of love. Therefore, Be imitators of God as beloved children. The word there is mimetase in the Greek. Be a mimic of God. That's what Jesus said he was doing. He said, I don't do anything that I don't see the Father doing. So Paul comes in Ephesians and he says, do that. Just imitate the love of God. The love of God that God has had for you, imitate that and walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, offering a sacrifice to God is fragrant aroma. That is the greater love. He offered himself up. He didn't wait for us to come to him and ask him, would you please go die for me? Would you please go to the cross for me? He did it ahead of time. He gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God. He says in the... Walk in this kind of love right here. Imitate that kind of love right there. Now, listen, let me take you over here to 1 John chapter 4 because John now is going to give you a picture of that. Beginning in verse 8 of chapter 4, 1 John, not the gospel, but 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Listen to what he says. The one who does not love does not know God. Now, that's pretty straightforward. Let me, let me read that again in case you didn't catch it. The one who does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. You ought to underline that. That's critically important right there in your understanding God. Now, watch this. Verse 9, by this, verse 10, in this. Verse 9, by this, the love of God was manifested in us. By this, by God's love, it, it was manifested in us. That is, it could be seen in us. We show the love of God that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. Verse ten: In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and He sent His Son to be the propitiation, the payment, uh, the sacrifice. Um, Uh, the one that suffered for our sins, made the payment for our sins. He comes and he says that. Now, here is Paul's definition. Here's John's definition. You can take these two short verses home and think on them all afternoon, and what you're going to see is this. You're going to see four things. Number one, God's love, God defines it, it is sacrificial. It is willing to sacrifice. Number two, it is selfless. Number three, it is self-giving. And number four, it is unselfish. I'm going to give you that again. Number one, it is sacrificial. Just look at the love God had for us. Number two, it is selfless. Doesn't put itself first. Number three, it is self-giving. I'm going to give myself. And number four, it is unselfish. God's defined love right there. Now, I don't, we don't have to really look any further, but let me take you back now to Colossians chapter 3. You say, well, why are you going all over the Scripture? Because that's what I preach. I could be going all over Time Magazine. How good will that do you? Colossians chapter 3, look at verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Now, listen, because you're going to hear the fruit of the Spirit in all of this. What he has said in Galatians chapter 5, you're going to hear here to an extent in Colossians chapter 3, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. That's the kind of love. That's what love generates in your life. Bearing with one another. Listen to this, couples. Those of you that are husband and wife, listen to this. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whatever has been a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that fascinating? He says, you put it on. He says in Colossians, you put it on. And back over there in Galatians, he says, you bear. Now, this is what I want you to see. If you don't hear anything else, now I want you to listen to me for a minute. I've gone through all of that. I've taken you from Paul to John to Paul. I'm going to end up with Jesus here in just a moment. But I want you to listen to this. You do not produce fruit in your life. Now, we say we produce it, but you don't. You bear fruit. Look at what Paul says. We're going to, if we're going to believe the word, let's, let's actually deal with the word. He says you will bear the fruit of the Spirit. You don't produce it. You don't have that ability. It is God in me. All of this is what it's saying. It's God in me. It's God in me. It's his love. He's in me, and he's the one who produces his love in me. I don't produce it. I bear that fruit. Now, listen, let me tell you, this is the problem we've got in the church, and a lot of this is the problem we have in our homes, is that we walk around trying to produce the fruit of the Spirit because the, 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 the Spirit is not free to produce it in our lives due to the fact that we're either grieving the Spirit because of sin or we are quenching the Spirit because of our own desires and our own will. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Amen. Amen, goes right there. That's what I'm doing. I'm quenching the spirit in my life. I'm grieving the spirit. I've got some sin in my life uh, that I let run my life, ruin my life. I quench that spirit so that the spirit does not produce the fruit of the spirit in my life. So what do I do? I walk around the church. I walk around other people and I fake the fruit. Fake the fruit. Fake fruit frustrates you. It will tire you out. You will become exhausted trying to fake fruit, especially the fruit of love. When we, we built a house in Jacksonville and uh, when we moved in, we, we went out and we planted a couple of citrus. You live in Florida, go out and plant you some citrus tree. So we planted a lemon tree and a, and a lime tree. And folks, let me tell you something. We got lemons and limes like that. That is no joke. And, you know, come home at the end of a day and Miss Debbie had made a gallon of, uh, it, listen, I'm from the South. You know how you make sweet tea? With five pounds of Dixie Crystal sugar to a gallon of tea. Five pounds to, to a gallon. So that's probably why I'm diabetic today. Anyway, um, <laughs> she'd have that. And so what do you do? You go out and pick your f- fresh lemon or fresh lime. And you just squeeze. It was so juicy. It was so flavorful. Well, she planted that for her. I planted me a blood orange. That's the red oranges. Not the orange oranges, but the red oranges. I got, I got oranges like that for the first two years. I'd go out there and I would just, I'd reach up and I would pick off one of those big old oranges and I'd say, take that, Publix. And I would just peel it right there, you know, instead of going in and buying a bag of oranges for $23 and they're that size right there. I had that big old orange. I'd peel that thing. It was so juicy. It was so flavorful. It It was the nectar of the gods. The third year I was there, I went out and I I got the first big orange. About in December, you'd go out and you'd pick that fruit. And I went out and I picked that tree and I came in and I took a knife and I cut into that orange. And I was so, I had just anticipated eating that first orange off that tree. And when I cut into it, it had shriveled up on the inside and was dry as dust. And I thought, oh, my stars, how terrible. So I went back out, and I picked the second one. It was the same way. I went out, and I picked the third one, and it was the same way. And I came in, and I got online, and I discovered there was a blight through Florida that was attacking fruit trees, orange trees. And uh, I went out, and I looked at the orange tree, and there was nothing on the trunk. There was nothing on the limbs. The leaves all looked luscious and green, and I looked back up at the fruit, and the fruit was just, as, it was just as beautiful as it could be until you cut into it. Let me tell you, that's exactly what he's saying right here. He's saying this, when you fake the fruit of the Spirit, you are shriveled up and dead on the inside, dry as you can be, but you may look pretty. It, it is only skin deep, and at some point, it becomes obvious that the fruit is no good. Let me tell you something, folks. Jesus said this. Now, I'm going to quote Jesus now. I'm the vine. You're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he is the one who will bring forth or bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we come to love just at the very beginning, we have to let God define it, and we have to understand I can't produce it. I can only bear it. I don't know if you ever heard of, of Ron Dunn. Ron Dunn was a great, great Baptist preacher. Um, Arlington Road uh, a Baptist Church right there, right out of Dallas. And um, I want you to listen to what he said about this died years ago. Christians don't produce fruit. We only bear it. We're just a fruit rack for Jesus to use to show others his love. That's all we are. We bear the fruit that God in Christ through the Holy Spirit produces in us. Or you're you're a rack to produce whatever it is you produce and that's what you show the world. So we come to the Lord to get that. Now let me show you the second thing, and the second thing is this. Is my love for others depends, now listen, my love for others depends on my understanding God's love for me. Do you understand God's love for you? Now I know that's trite, and I know a lot of times we just... uh, simply use that as an expression, you know, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, and we really never stop and think about the fact God does love us. Do you ever stop and think about the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love? Listen at uh, Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to pick it up in the middle of a sentence. This was what Kirkwood was reading a few minutes ago. This is what Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. And so in verse 17, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If so, he dwells in your heart through faith. Now, and that you, now, being rooted and grounded, he's using a metaphor, but he's mixing the metaphors here. He's using a botanical metaphor and an architectural metaphor. Rooted is the botanical metaphor. I was just talking about orange trees. Orange trees have the deepest taproot of any tree that there is. It goes down so far, it, is, it goes down as far as the orange tree goes up which is amazing, far deeper than oak tree, big, huge oak trees, you see that? They run out on top of the ground. But you've got this incredibly deep tap root because that orange tree is producing what is sweet and juicy. It draws all of the nutrients it can as far down as it can in the earth and it draws in all the moisture to produce something that is going to be very flavorful and juicy. So he says, listen, your love, he says is this, it is rooted, it goes deep down into the love of God. You're drawing all of your nourishment in from God, not from the things of the world, but from the Lord. And he says, then you're grounded. In other words, you've got this stable foundation. You are secure, you are stable because the foundation is sure. It is grounded in love may you be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, that is, all the dimensions of the love of God. What he's saying here is you can't measure it. You don't have a tape measure big enough to go to the breadth and the length, the height and the depth of the love of God. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Paul says it goes beyond what the human mind is capable of. Do you understand how much God loves you? To the height, to the depth, to the breadth, to the length of God's love for you, it was so long, it was so high, it was so deep, it was so wide that it would send his only son to a cross. Now, I love a lot of people, but I'm never gonna give up one of my kids for you. Never would I give up one of my kids. Not even on their, their worst day would I give up one of my kids for anybody? But God Almighty gave up his son for you. That's the love that he's referring to. That's what he's talking about. He says, I want you just to be able to grasp some of that. Now, let me show you how he explains this or how the New Testament will give you a picture of this. Go with me to 1 John chapter 3. Because you'll kind of begin to get a picture of that here. First John chapter 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. Now I've got to stop because that is one of the richest half verses in the New Testament. Just just watch this. See? Uh, the word there is ara'o in the uh, Greek. It means to it, it's it's different than blepo, which means to you know you it's kind of, bleppo It's kind of like a blip. I look here, look here, look here, look here, look here. This word means to stop on something and give it meditative thought, to look at it with an eye to kind of pull it apart and look at all the parts and understand what's going on. So John comes and he says, see, look at this. Look at what now? And think about it. Look at what? He says, how great a love the Father has and how great the love of the Father is. Think about this. Stop. Now, the NASB says how great a love. You may have a translation that says the manner of love. Um, It literally is, I like the translation best, what kind of love, the kind of love that God has for us. He comes in that word right there and he says think about this, the kind of love that God has for us. Think about it, contemplate it, work work that out in your mind. Where does this love come from? Look at what it says. The source of it is the Father. You do understand that God did not hate you in the Old Testament. And when Jesus came and went to the cross, he flipped a switch and he all of a sudden decided, I'm going to love you. Now, a lot of people think that way. In fact, let me tell you something. There is a denomination that basically teaches that. God did not hate you in the Old Testament. Who do you think sent Jesus Christ For God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave his, you need to understand that part of the Godhead is not against you and the other part is for you and that God and Jesus are kind of battling this thing out. Will you take them? Will you love them? Will you accept them? No, God the Father, that's where this comes from. See how great a love the Father has bestowed. That little adverb, listen, let me tell you, it is qualitative, it is quantitative, the quality of it, it is sterling. There is nothing that can match the love of God. Quantitatively, it, there is nothing at any point that will exhaust the love of God. You will not, your sin will not exa- exhaust the love of God in your life. Now, a lot of times we think that. I think that. Listen, I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. Let me tell you, there are things in my life, sometimes I just think, oh, God, I hate to come and ask forgiveness for this thing again, again, and again, and again, and again. Lord, I'm just going to exhaust you. And the word of God says, oh, impossible. You can't exhaust it. That he bestows, didomai in the Greek, that he places on, that he shovels out, that he pours on, that he gives to you. Perfect tense, God gives you this love that cannot be exhausted, and the perfect tense means this, he will never take it away. God doesn't play with his love. He doesn't play with us. He doesn't say, I'm gonna give it to you, and I'm gonna take it away. I'm gonna give it to you, I'm gonna pull it away. God doesn't do that. You don't have to sit down with a daisy, and say, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not, you don't have to do that. He never will take his love away from you. Now, y'all ought to be a lot happier than what you appear right now. And I bet if you knew you were walking out that door, if you were in Ukraine and Russian soldiers were out there ready to shoot you dead, this, you'd get a little bit more excited about this than you are right now. He says this in the perfect tense. It is permanent. It is the gift of God. You don't earn it. You can't buy it. He just bestows it. He lavishes it on you. And it is eternal and it lasts and it never is exhausted or gives out. I love that old hymn that goes like this. Could I with ink the ocean fill and were the sky of parchment made and every blade of grass a quill and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God, the man would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That was found in an 18th century insane asylum in England. Somebody in the dark demonic moments of mental illness had a break of light and understood the incredible love of God and they scratched those words up on a wall. God loves you. That's the love of God. That's how you grasp that. That's how you love other people. Is when you begin to grasp some of the love of God for you, you begin to love others. And that leads me to the third thing, and it's this. Allow Christ to love others through you. Now, some people are just tough to love. They're hard to love. They're difficult to love. I understand that. I've been a pastor for over 40 years, and some people just make it difficult to love them. In fact, I think they believe it's their calling to be difficult to love, honestly. But now listen to what John writes in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, beloved. Now, do you see what he's doing? He's loving them. He's speaking to his congregation, he lets them know I love you. You're my beloved. I'm talking about love, but I love you. Let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Doesn't say that we we have to get it perfectly right. But in the flow and in the direction of life, we should be loving one another. In this fact, you know what marriage is. Let me tell you. You know, I just thought about this early this morning. Let me tell you what marriage is. Marriage is this. Marriage is an. Un- you you didn't get into marriage by a license. Marriage is not a license. You go fishing and hunting with a license. Marriage is not a license. Marriage is not a contract, Lord have mercy. It's a covenant. Marriage, you enter into covenant, listen, not with your mate, you enter into covenant with God at the moment you're entering into covenant with your mate. It's a covenant not just to her, it's a covenant to God. I enter into covenant for better or for worse, whether you're lying on your back and you're sick, whether you're in a wheelchair, whether you're on a walker, whether you're in a hospital bed, that doesn't matter. I'm in covenant with you. Doesn't matter if we're rich or poor, if we're educated or uneducated. Doesn't matter what kind of house we live in. We are in covenant with one another for life, period. That's God's design. That's God. Listen, I'm in covenant that is, I am in unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Sorry, baby. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, with an imperfect. And listen, she'll tell you she is in an unconditional commitment. with an. She can tell you how imperfect I am. You, in every marriage, I don't care what your marriage is, who you are, you are both imperfect people. I thought women would be crying at this point and rolling in the aisle, you know? That's true. But it's unconditional love to an imperfect person, so how do I love that person? The best way I know is by allowing Christ to love them through you. Now, do you realize that's church as well on a little different way? And church, well, Listen, we're made up of imperfect people in here. I hate to shock some of you, but we, we are. We're imperfect people. We, we, some of us like this, some of us like that. Some of us have this, you know, in mind. Others have had this in mind. We're imperfect people, but we've come together under the covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's called the New Testament covenant. And in covenant together, we have an unconditional love for one another. You say, but I'm mad at it. somebody in this church. I'm angry. I'm upset. There are families here that they know. We all know. This family doesn't like this. Now, I don't know this, so don't anybody come up and tell me, are you talking about this? I don't know this, but I've been in churches. Listen, I preached a revival. Before I went to seminary, I preached a revival, and I kid you not, the organist over here at the invitation time got up, and started walking this way, and the pianist got up and started walking in this way, and they met in the middle, and they hugged, and they cried, and they carried on, and we had to get Kleenex out there. It was a mess, and they, you know, and so I didn't know what was going. On. I didn't know what had happened to them, And somebody told me after, said there had been 10 years these two women had been at each other. They hated each other. They despised each other. And in one given moment, here they meet in front of the altar at a revival service, and they said it all right. How do you love somebody else? I have to allow God to love them through me. It's the best way I know of. And the greatest demonstration of that, listen, is Jesus Christ. The night that Christ walked into that uh, upper room where he was having the last meal he would have with these disciples, every one of these disciples would run away from him that night. Do you remember in the garden when the guards come and Jesus says, you're looking for me, let these others go? And, And they took off and they ran. They left. Peter, big old big boy Peter, Oh, I'm never going to, I won't leave you. He runs. He leaves. He denies Christ three times that night. You've got all of these disciples. What does Jesus do? Knowing that these feet are going to run away from him, he gets down, girded in a towel in a basin of water, and he washes the very feet that are going to desert him that night. Now, Judas is there while the foot washing is going on. Now, what do you, what do you think? We're not told in Scripture. What do you think Jesus thought when he got to Judas's feet? You dirty rat. You sorry old thing. That's, that doesn't sound right, does it? Why? Because our Lord never talked that way. I can't help but believe, I can't prove it by Scripture, but I want to tell you something deep in my soul. I'm not so sure that when Jesus got to Judas, he didn't take longer to wash his feet than he did all the others, that he didn't linger there and stay there and wash his feet completely while looking up at Judas, all the while hoping, hoping, hoping that Judas would have some change of heart. How do I love like that? Can we love like that? Yes. I don't know if you ever heard of David Ireland. David Ireland was a guy who contracted a neurological disease that left him paralyzed from the neck down. In fact, doctors told him he had a very short period of time to live that he would not live very long. And it was during that time that he discovered that his wife was pregnant. They were expecting a baby. And he wrote a book entitled Letters to an Unborn Child. And he talks about the love of his wife. He wants the child. Child he'll never see, a child he'll never hold, a child whose name he'll never call, a child whose personality will develop and he'll never have the opportunity because he will die before his wife delivers so he writes, and he wants that child to know, I want you to know the kind of love your mom had for me. And so he writes and he says this, your mother's very special. Few men know what it is to receive appreciation for taking their wives out to dinner when it entails what it does for us. It means that she has to dress me, shave me, brush my teeth, comb my hair, wheel me out of the house, down the steps, open the garage and put me in the car, take the pedals off the chair, sit me up, turn me around in the seat, twist me around so that I'm comfortable, fold fold up the wheelchair, put it in the car, go around to the other side of the car, start it up, back out, get out of the car, pull the garage door down, get back in the car and drive off to the restaurant. And then it starts all over again. She gets out of the car, unfolds the wheelchair, opens the doors, spins me around, stands me up, seats me in the wheelchair, pushes the pedals out, closes and locks the door, wheels me into the restaurant, then takes the pedals off the wheelchair so I won't be uncomfortable. We sit down to have dinner. She feeds me throughout the entire meal. And when it's over, she pays the bill, pushes the wheelchair out to the car again, reverses the same routine. And when it's all over, finished, we're home, with real warmth and love, she'll say, Honey, thank you for taking me out to dinner. And I never quite know how to answer. That's love. That's love in action. That's agape love. That's caring more about someone else than you do for yourself. And when we experience that in our heart, that's revival. Let's stand and pray about it. All of us standing, our heads bowed, our eyes closed. I have no idea what God is saying to you. But I know this, God loves you. You know, that's the one thing I want people to know and to grasp and to understand. Listen, I preach enough about the judgment of God. I promise you that. But today I want you to know God loves you. Don't reject that love. Don't turn that love away. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you because some of you here this morning need to come and you need to respond to that love. Listen, he died for you while we were yet sinners. Why? So that you would have this moment of opportunity to come and say, God, thank you for loving me by sending your only son. Thank you, Lord, that he died on a cross. Thank you, Lord, for raising him from the dead. I come in repentance. I come and confess I'm a sinner. And I want to just receive your love and your forgiveness and your mercy and your grace and your goodness. I come to receive that. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But Lord, today I come and I ask for what you give because it is what I need. Would you come this morning? Would you step out from wherever you are and make your way down an aisle and come and say, I'm coming to Jesus Christ. Some of you to join this church, to put your life in the life of this family, to understand and know what it is to be in a family of God's people and to experience the love of God inside a church family. Others of you just to come and to get at the altar. Some of you to come maybe this morning and say, God, you've loved me so much and for so long and so well that I sense and know that you're calling me to ministry and I want to come and surrender to your lordship over the future of my life. Father, in these moments, would you just gain glory out of this invitation, out of this few minutes, Lord, at the end of being in your word and looking at your love. Lord, I long for you to be glorified. For we pray it in Jesus' name. You come right now as Kirkwood leads us. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.